0: This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ, in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good evening. Tonight, uh, I'd like to do something that I just really enjoy doing, and that is going over sharing a riveting story with you tonight, one that includes murder, um, plotting schemes, has politics involved, uh, the story of somebody that redeems and saves her people and that story is Esther. It's one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible, I can assure you it is one of the greatest stories ever told because it's it's right there between Genesis and Revelation. And the source material is good. I appreciate the prayer on my behalf because uh, the, while the source material is good, I hope I present it in a way that will be uh, helpful to you tonight. Uh, the book of Esther uh, centers around a Jewish orphan who ends up, saving her people from imminent doom and it takes place under the reign of king Ahasuerus and in the first verse of the book of Esther I don't have it on the board but it says now in the days of Ahasuerus who the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces so this guy was a man of great power it was this was The Persian or the Achaemenid Empire, and it stretched from parts of Africa all the way over, all the way over here uh, to India and up north and south. I think anywhere from like 10 to 12 percent of the population fell under this man's rule. Uh, historians believe that Ahasuerus was also known as Xerxes, and I'm not going to go into the history of it this evening. I'm just showing this to give perspective that we're not talking about a local governor or something like that, a, a mayor. This is the, perhaps the most powerful man in the world at this time, or one of the most powerful men. And that's where, uh, that is who in, is involved in this story. So we're told in chapter one that this man, King Ahasuerus, he has all of his, the top dogs, you could say, in for this, this week-long feast, and the alcohol is flowing, you know, he just says, whatever you want, you can have, and he's sharing, look at all of my riches, look at all this power I've got, and he tells his wife, Queen Vashti, he says, come out and parade, basically he tells her, come parade around before us so we can all admire your beauty. And she, she refuses the request, and you can, for a man of that power, with all of his generals and so forth around, that's just not something, especially in that political climate that you were going to do, especially as a woman at that time. And in uh, the first chapter um, in verse 17, his advisors, after she denies his request to come and pray around, they come, they come to King Ahasuerus and they say, Look, her behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and there will be wrath in plenty so basically kind of saying you know she made a fool of you and this is going to spread across your kingdom and they convince him get rid of her And so he replaces he gets rid of her takes her away from being the queen and that's where our story is going to pick up because they convince him let's go throughout all of this territory all 127 provinces and let's pick out the choicest young women from all of these provinces and bring him here to bring them here to find you another wife. And this is where we're introduced to Esther. And we'll pick up in chapter two. We're not gonna read the entire book, but hopefully we'll read enough of it, or we'll kind of get some things that apply to us today. But in chapter two, starting in verse five, we read, in Sushan the citadel, there was a certain Jew named, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So this is about two or three generations in from the captivity of the final uh, children of Israel there when they were carried away with Babylon, and Babylon was overtaken and so forth, and now you have this king Ahasuerus over the Persian Empire. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, or this is his cousin, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So this was a a young woman that was, was an orphan. She lost her father and her mother, and so her cousin takes her in. And we'll see pretty quick that she finds favor with everyone she really comes in contact with. Verse 8 So it was when the king's command and decree were heard, that when, and when many young women were gathered at Sushin, the citadel, citadel under the custody of Haggai, that Esther, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace, into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her, besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. So right away you could see this, this young woman here who was being brought up by her cousin is now taken into custody and given a whole team of women for the sole purpose of prepping her for the king, to, for her beauty. And she finds favor in this household, and she's put at the top. Verse 10, Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And that's because the Jews were not exactly the cream of the crop, you would say, in in that kingdom. Verse 11, and every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed Twelve months of preparation, according to the regulations for the women. For thus were the days of their preparation apportioned. Now, especially women, pay attention to this. If you you think maybe you you went on a blind date or even on your wedding day or something like that, how many hours you took to prep for that. Here's twelve months of nothing but prepping for this meeting with the king. Six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. So these women are probably smelling pretty good at that point, I would think. (laughs) Twelve months, a year of prepping for this. Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king. And so this was, again, a major undertaking here. All of these young women are being prepared for each of their individual meetings with the king. Each young woman went to the king, and, when, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. Verse 17, The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast, the Feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants. And he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. If you go and look at some of the other versions, they have this, they're in verse 18, where he proclaimed a holiday. It mentioned a tax break. In my mind, I'm thinking like a tax cut. So I'm thinking this is like got political implications. He says, this is the woman that I've chosen. He makes this feast for all of his officials and servants and across his entire kingdom, he gives this woman a feast and apparently some kind of tax cut. And just, it's a major undertaking. Again, this is an orphan, Jewish orphan girl that is now having the entire kingdom celebrate this holiday in her honor. Verse 19, When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people just as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. So we see some of her character. She respects, in her mind, her elder, this man that had brought her up. In those days while Mordecai sat within the king's gate two of the king's eunuchs bigthan and teresh doorkeepers became furious and sought to lay hands on king Ahasuerus so we're not told why these men these doorkeepers became so upset maybe they didn't maybe they didn't get a tax cut I don't know but they were the doorkeepers and to me, if you're keeping the, the king's door, you probably have access of who comes in and who goes out. So that's kind of a big deal that uh, Mordecai knows, okay, they're, they've got some kind of plot here. They're going to try to lay hands on the king. Verse 22, so the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. And so this is, at this moment, Mordecai doesn't really get any recognition for it, but this is going to come back, just make a mental note, because this is going to play a big role later on in in the story. So we'll go to chapter 3 and verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, and we're not really given any background on who this Haman character is, but for some reason, the king just really likes this guy. He promotes him to the top seat. So Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage, homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily. So they could keep asking, Why don't you bow before this guy? Like that is the, what the king wants. They speak to him daily. He would not listen to him they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. So I don't know if they're trying to get uh, brownie points or what, but they go to Haman and said, look, there's this guy here who is not uh, bowing before you. And they, they tell him something about his Jewish uh, heritage. And Haman may have never seen this, but now his attention is okay, somebody's not bowing. Let's go, let's go check it out. So, in verse five, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. And we're gonna see that how wicked this, this guy is because here's a man in this vast kingdom that was not the king. And for some reason, he gets this seat, has everything you could want. He's got power, he's got wealth. He's got it all, but he can't handle the fact that there's a man in the crowd that won't honor him or bow to him or pay him homage. Verse six, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. So maybe now he's thinking, okay, there may be more people and how dare anybody not bow before me. So instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus the people of Mordecai so here we are introduced to the villain of the story which is Haman and we're going to see just this guy is like the epitome of pride and arrogance and he didn't feel that it was appropriate Mordecai did not and so just Haman just could not tolerate that he, and We're going to see him go after Mordecai for really no good reason. Mordecai was not a threat to this man, but Haman just couldn't tolerate it. And I couldn't help but making the comparison to Hitler because he seeks out the Jews and just wants to destroy them. And we're going to see the plot that he has is to totally eradicate them. Chapter 3 and verse 8, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There's a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other people's. They do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it's not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So he, he's even willing now to pay for this. And if you, my understanding is 10,000 talents would roughly be a couple million bucks. Because this guy, again, he's got, he's got everything. And he hates this man so much and his people that he's going to fund their extermination. So verse 10 So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, and the king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you. Do to the, do to do with them as seems good to you. So maybe the king was like, The money's no object, just do what whatever you want to do with them. It's fine with me. And that's I guess that shows a little bit about this, this king with like endless power. You know, in our society, you know, we don't have a a signet ring type situation, but that was the ultimate authority. If the king put his his signet ring and sealed that document or that law, it was the law. There was no debate about it. But this king gives his ring to this man Haman and just said, don't even worry about the money. You just see just whatever seems good to you. Go take care of it. And so, of course, Haman is going to take advantage of that situation. Earlier in this chapter, there was some there was lots cast because Haman had been devising this plan before he took it to the king uh, when this was this extermination of the Jews was going to happen. And interestingly enough, the lot gets cast on the furthest month away. The the um, it's in verse seven. Out of all the months, it's Adar, which is the furthest month away, or it's eleven months later, which. Surely that was not by accident. So it wasn't like they cast lots and tomorrow the Jews are going to be exterminated. They had 11 months to prepare for this, but you got to imagine the fear that this has been, this edict, this sealed with the king's ring that says in all of the land the Jews are, are going to be annihilated. So this word comes back to Mordecai and he tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes and meanwhile esther is in the the castle or the citadel uh, wherever this is and she really can tell something is going on but doesn't know so she sends a messenger out to mordecai and um, he responds and and says hey you've got to you've got to step in here So this messenger comes out to Mordecai. We'll pick up in chapter 4 and verse 7. And Mordecai told him, and this is the messenger, all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for the destruction, for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathach returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a command for Mordecai. So she hears this, and you got to imagine how she must be feeling as a young woman, like, whoa, I'm not permitted to go in there and speak with the king. I put my life in my own hands if I do that. It's not just something anybody, even the king's wife, couldn't even go up and and speak to him unless she was summoned. So here in verse 11, she says, she tells the messenger, go tell Mordecai this, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, "...except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days." That kind of power is just something we don't really see today. That type of ruler where it sounds like something you might see in a movie, but this is real where somebody comes in and he has to literally hold the scepter out to spare them, to to, uh, spare their life. And that's how Esther feels, even as the queen. She said, I can't do this. I'm taking my life into my own hands if I go in there. Verse 13, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther. So now Mordecai is sending the message back to her. He says, do you think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews? For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And this may be the most profound statement in this book. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And if you think about that for a moment, we could ask ourselves that question when we get in a very tough time, especially when it comes to the work of the church. Maybe we could ask ourselves, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe that's why you're in this position. And so he sends this message back to Esther, and I think she she knows that she needs to do this. She respects uh, the words of Mordecai. She's going to be obedient to him. It doesn't mean it, it's an easy thing. So, what happens is Mordecai gathers all the people that he's familiar with, and they fast. I think for three days, and continual fasting and prayer for Esther's behalf, knowing that she's going to go through with this. And she goes and talks to the king, and it works out very well for her. You know the king is delighted to see her, he's not in fact he's not upset with her at all, and he says what do you what do you want from me? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. You just let me know what you want because he really loves this woman and And she says, "Well, in the short term, just have a meal tonight with me and so Haman gets invited to this meal that night and then the king says, no, what do you really want? And she again says, tomorrow, let, let me have a, a feast tomorrow and invite Haman there. So that kind of sets the stage for how this story turns around because Haman leaves this first meal and he's kind of on top of the world. He's, he's the chosen man. He's in there with the king and the queen. You know, his enemy Mordecai, who on the other hand has done nothing to him, this guy and all of his people are about to be eliminated from the face of the earth. He couldn't be any happier. Verse 5, or chapter 5 and verse 9, So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zirish, What restraint this man had. You know, he, <laughs> he was, Wow, that, that, that takes some strength. <laughs> so he goes home and now he's going to tell his, his wife all this stuff. And so verse 11, "...then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children." Everything in which the king had promoted him, how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Look at all this stuff. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. then he says in verse 13, Yet all this avails me nothing, so as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. It just is mind-boggling here, and this is going to end up, this pride and this hatred is going to be an unforced error. Haman had everything, but he just couldn't stand this guy, and now the Jews, he's going to throw it all away because of this. Verse 14, then his wife Zerush and all his friends said, and I can kind of picture them like laughing about this maybe, he said, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. I mean, these people are something else here. And, you know, Haman was kind of, All of a sudden, down in the dumps, I guess. But now, they've lifted his spirits. The thing pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. 50 cubits high. I think that's roughly about 75 feet. And I was trying to come up with a comparison, something around here that would put that in perspective. The Alma Water Park, they said those water slides are about 30 feet is what they boast of. So I was sitting there Sunday at the fellowship, looking at those water slides, and maybe the the dam up there where people were crossing at Lake Alma saying, oh, that, I don't know how high that is. So I'm picturing something like maybe a, a water tower or something like that, that imposing of a thing here because at this time, you probably didn't have a lot of skyscrapers. So this gallows being 50 cubits high or roughly 75 feet, this was not needed to hang somebody. This was to make a statement. I mean, you're hanging, Mordecai was probably between five and six feet or like that, you don't need a 75-foot apparatus to hang somebody on. So this is just purely to make a statement. And so he is, they've really lifted his spirits here. I'm going to hang this guy where everybody sees this guy hanging. Chapter 6. That night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told Bithana and Tirash, two of the king's eunuchs, so this is back to the story where he um, prevented this, this coup, I guess, uh, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, hmm, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended to him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, uh, maybe he heard somebody out there. He's like, who's out in the court? or Who's in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace, and you might be able to just see him strolling in. He's ready to get this gallows put to use. So Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows, that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, him Haman is there standing in the court, and the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And so I'm picturing, you know, the first verse that came to my mind is Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is just a prime example of that. Here the... The king is thinking, we're about to honor Mordecai. Haman is thinking, we're about to hang Mordecai. And so Haman is like, "Who? there's nobody else that the king is going to want to honor other than me. I mean, that is an example of how pride will just overtake you. You, You're just blinded by this pride and arrogance where you're not thinking about anybody else. Verse 7, and Haman answered the king. And this is thinking, okay, this is what's going to happen to me. And he, he answers the king For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king is ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. The king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. And you can imagine this guy Haman, like, what? I mean, just... You would have loved to see that. 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so many times when we think we stand, uh, we don't even realize that. We're not even thinking that we're in danger. And so that warning there is what came to my mind. If you think you stand, you better check your ego and your situation because you may have that pride that's going to set you up for a fall. So Haman took the robe. In this verse 11. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, "Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor." And you know that had to be painful for him to say that. Afterwards, Mordecai returned to his duties at the palace gate, and Haman hurried home, hiding his face in shame. So. Even at this point, though, Haman hasn't even suffered anything. But it's just that pride that's eating him. Like, I cannot believe that I had to go through that. I might as well have died, probably, is what he was thinking. But he is still the king's top guy at this point, which is about to end. But little does he know this. Chapter 7 and verse 1. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And this, again, is this feast that I mentioned a, a little while ago where he is, Haman is thinking, I'm the only one invited this to the king and queen. This is a great thing for me. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request up to half the kingdom? It shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. And at that point, I bet Haman is probably thinking, "Uh uh-oh. Verse 4, For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Again, this is one of the most powerful men in the world at this point. Who dares to do this thing? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. And you can imagine Haman is probably about to have a heart attack. Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before, the, stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace garden, to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. The king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. He didn't even need to tell the, the people that were in the room there. He just made that statement, and they knew he's done. As he said that, that they come up and they cover his face and he's, he's gonna be put to death. And notice here, here's a man that doesn't do poor Haman any favors. I'm assuming there's no love lost here. Harbona, one of the eunuchs said to the king, look, the gallows 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. And the king said, hang him on it. Now, whether this was out the king's window where they saw it, or just the expression may be more like, hey, there's a gallows. Remember the gallows he made? I don't know what what exactly this looks like, but everybody knew this ominous structure here. And the king said, hang him on that. Verse 10, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. So this table sure turned on Haman pretty quickly. And I couldn't help but think about this verse here from our Savior. Matthew 7 and verse 2. He tells us, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And certainly it was for Haman. Here was, again, this was an unforced uh, error that he made this man just simply wouldn't bow before him perhaps if he didn't like it maybe he just punishes the guy but he just goes to the ultimate extreme i'm going to kill him and all of his people so as jesus says with whatever judgment you use be careful because that same judgment is going to be used on you and that's a lesson for us we need to be careful if we have something to get somebody Be careful on how you look or how hard you are on others. And that is what our Lord and Savior says. Esther chapter 8 and verse 1. On that day king, and this is a little bit later on, on that day king Ahasuerus gave queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. I don't know what it is with this king, but now he's taken his signet ring off again and he's given it to another man, fortunately a much better man. And basically now Mordecai's got the power. Like, you you know, do as you please. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and again, there's just this level of respect. Even though the king has given Esther everything she's asked for, there still, she fell down at his feet. It wasn't, a, even at this point, a casual conversation like, hey, honey, do this. You know, it was, he, she fell down at his feet and poured him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter towards Esther, so Esther arose and stood before the king and said If it pleases the king and if I have found favor in his sight and the thing seems right to the king and I am pleasing in his eyes let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the son of Hamadatha the Agagite which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? And that comes right from the heart. She was, you know, top of the line right there. She was the queen, but she feels she can't live with herself to live this life of luxury when she knows what's about to happen to her people. And the king, Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman. And they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hands on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So they do exactly that and this decree goes out into the land and Skip down to verse 17, and it says, And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. That in itself is a significant statement, because throughout history, that's, that's an odd thing. Many of the people became Jews. That, that is how uh, significant of a thing this is because the king gives them authority to turn that right back around that if anybody harms the Jews, they will be annihilated. And skipping on to, to uh, chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. And all the rulers of the provinces and the lieutenants, the deputies, the officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame went throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. For Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. So this story, you know, it's titled Esther, but very easily it, it could be titled Esther and Mordecai, as he's a big focus of this story. He kind of guided Esther, and she was obedient to him. And by his guidance, she was had the courage to, to go to the king, to um, to approach the king on behalf of the Jews. But as I think about This man Mordecai, I think of the the Beatitudes where Jesus is going through these things and he says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness, for righteousness' sake. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And we see here that Right there at the, that last part of that verse, Mordecai was seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. There are so many of those characteristics where Jesus says these type of people are going to be blessed, and Mordecai kind of checks the box on so many of those. And for Esther, I'd like to close with this one final verse here. I thought this is fitting. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and 5, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I think we see that in this this uh, account of Mordecai and Esther. This was a young woman who especially in today's society that would get up into a position of authority like that and may be tempted to forget about what's going on out there she had everything she wanted the comforts of a queen she found favor in everybody's eyes but she respected her elder enough the man who loved her out there that raised her she never forgot him and what he taught her as he brought her up and likewise you younger submit yourselves to your elders and we see what a benefit that did for esther and how that benefited the entire jewish people and then Of course, the way this verse ends, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that was certainly highlighted with the example of Haman. How proud was that man versus Esther and Mordecai uh, who God gave grace to. So that's where I'll conclude uh, this, this study tonight. We have not gone over the first principles, but if you have been sufficiently taught and would like to be baptized, Or if you desire the prayers of the church at this time, we offer the song of invitation. Would you please come forward as we stand and sing? We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.